I'm Rachel Olstead, and this is the Dream Builder Society podcast. As a life coach, I help women just like you harness the power of your thoughts to take your good life and make it great. Join me each week here for inspiration, stories, and practical life coaching tools with real life application to start taking small steps towards creating the life of your dreams. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Dream Builder Society podcast. Today, we have on a very special guest, Dr. Jane Tornator, and I am excited to have her on. Welcome, Jane. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, absolutely. And so today we are going to be just kind of diving in really to this conversation all about perfectionism and self-love and self-acceptance and this dichotomy of like not enough too much enough. And I think that this conversation will really resonate with all of you listening. Um, This is something that I've struggled with my entire life. And I think, um, Jane, you can agree (laughs) to that of like being recovering perfectionists. And so if you kind of like label yourself or, or think of yourself in that way, this episode is for you. So Jean, would you just start out by just telling us a little bit about yourself? I know you have such a long history and so many amazing experiences, but tell us some of the highlights. Tell us a little bit about you and, and what you do. Awesome. Well, thank you. So I'm, I'm excited to be speaking with you today, because as I said earlier, I love that you bill yourself as the intuitive business coach, because I speak about myself as a PhD with a little bit of woo. I love it. I love embracing both this external wisdom and internal wisdom. And I think when we can be with both, that's when we're, that's when we're healthiest, we make the wisest decisions, we're happiest. Yeah, absolutely. I a thousand percent agree. So what kind of got you into the, the field that you're in? What, what, tell us a little bit about the work that you do um, with, with your clients, patients, whatever you call them. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about the work that you do and why you're so passionate about it. Awesome. Yes, I've been a, a therapist for 16 years, I think, now in private practice. And I got there through a stint in academia, which I loved And I was running projects and doing statistical analysis and all that fun, you know, academic intellectual stuff. And at one point I'm like, yeah, this is fun. But I didn't wake up in the morning going, I am so excited to go to work today. I love what I'm doing. Yay. I liked it, but I didn't wake up inspired. And in uh, grad school, I trained to be a therapist, but honestly, I didn't have the courage to be a therapist. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to academia because I know that. Right. And for our for um, everybody, but I think especially for perfectionists, doing something new is terrifying. Yeah. So most of us are more comfortable going with what we know, which is why I chose academia versus being a private practice therapist at first. But like, like once again, when we listen to our bodies and our intuition, my heart was not in academia. My heart wasn't in research. My heart is in talking to people and helping them like, I've always been one of those people who's like, hey, have you thought about this? Why are we looking at it this way? What about looking at it? So I've always been curious about how we shift our beliefs and how we act to shift our life. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'm just going to take a leap. And I decided to open my own practice. And uh, it took me 10 years to build it because I'm not a natural marketer. But then once I, I built my full private practice and I just love working with my clients because I, I, as we spoke earlier, doing really like big things, like just love yourself. That's it. Just <laughs> you, you love yourself. You stop being a perfectionist and just love yourself. Go. Okay. Bye. Like that doesn't work. It's too big. So I love simple, itty bitty little steps and tools to help us take little changes that don't freak us out but that actually last and we follow up on. So, um, but once my practice became full, I'm one of those, but I am a, I am a perfectionist. So I'm like, well, what now? You know, I spent 10 years building my practice and six months later, I'm like, I want more now. (laughs) So I decided to do, take my work online because they're, they're tools I use with everybody. 
So I've decided I want to reach more people to help them with these tools. So this is my next venture. And because I'm a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> I'm seeing all those levels of myself that I, you know, that I haven't learned to love yet. So I get to use, you know, my tools again and develop a new round of tools to help me as I'm stretching into this new phase. And I think that's true for everybody. Anytime we're stretching into something new, even if it's loving ourselves more, it's helpful to have these tools that make it easier and for us to feel safer and more secure making those changes. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love all of that and just sharing your journey a little bit. And like, I think just the honesty, even that you're like showing up to this conversation with that, like, you have so much experience, right? You have a PhD, you have all like this circumstantial, um, you know, evidence that the world would say like, oh, she for sure is confident and like perfect in every way in what she does. And like, just owning the fact that like, there's always room for more growth for ourselves. And we can always grow in our compassion and acceptance and love for ourselves so that we can become even better leaders and supporters and coaches and therapists and whatever for other people as well. So it's like, it's funny. And I think you probably get this too, but like some of my clients will, will say like, Oh, you probably don't struggle with this. And it's right? like, it's, it's why I'm really good at coaching you <laughs> because I actually do struggle with this. Right. And so just that radical honesty too, and not trying to hide it any longer, right? That like, yes, this is something I'm working through. And hey, let me also help you work through this too. I love that. Yeah. So I developed something I call the orange bowl theory for that very dynamic you're speaking up because we look at other people and we think, oh, they clearly got it all together. I'm the only mess. So I developed this theory to share with my clients, which really helps. I love visual images because they seem to get in deeper than just words. Yeah. So what I say is, imagine you're in this bowl of oranges. You're an orange in the bowl of oranges. And you're looking around at all the other oranges and they're beautiful. And they've got these beautiful round skins with little dimples and those perfect little ends. And they're just gorgeous, like perfect. And then you look at your orange self and you're seeing your inside and it's messy and it's sticky and it's pulpy and it's just kind of like squirts if you, you know, touch it too much, right? <laughs> and so we see our messy insides, but we don't see anybody else's messy insides. We only see their perfect outsides. So we go, I'm the only one with issues here. Like, you're like you, people say to me, oh, I'm sure you've never been depressed or anxious at all. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have actually been. Like, yeah. So when we realize that everybody has these messy, sticky insides, but most of us don't share it because we're scared. We don't want people to see that we're the only messy ones. Whereas as you so beautifully, beautifully, you know, pointed out when we are radically honest and we say, yeah, I'm messy too. Then we give permission to other people to feel okay about their messiness. And everybody feels less alone. I feel less alone. My clients feel less alone. Everybody feels less alone which is, I think, part of what we're going for. Yeah. Alone with our messiness, our human, perfectly human messiness. Right. And I just want to add to that, um, that I think something that's really cool that I've come to see even in my own life and just like in the world too, and even just with my clients and just whatever with humans is that when we like admit to our messiness and like embrace that, I think two things can happen, but one of them I I prefer. And so I want to share that really quickly. (laughs) Um, Two things can happen. It's like this one side of the coin, we can say like, oh, she or he or whatever, they're messy too. Let's be all messy together and just like sit in our messiness and ruminate it and ruminate, there's the word, in it and just be like messy and sad and frustrated together. It's like the misery loves company kind of thing, right? Yeah. And so I see that happening a lot, right, when we share the, in, in that honest way. But I think there's there's some other pieces to that that, like, we don't need to get into, like, quite yet. But I love this other side that I see so much of. And I think even, I think 
just in general with the internet and with social media, like, yeah, we, we get to see a lot more of people's thoughts and opinions and, and things like that out in the open. But I think it's also provided this opportunity for people. Like one of the goals that we were talking about before we hit record is like one of the goals of even just this conversation, I want people to feel seen, heard and understood so that they feel like if they can be messy and still grow and get better, I can too, rather than like, oh, they're messy. Let's be messy together and sad and messy together instead. Like, oh, they're messy, but they can still grow, right? Because of it, right? And so it's this idea of, we're not stuck because of our messiness. I'm just using that as like whatever a term, but yeah, no, stuck um, we're not stuck because of our perfectionists or because of our flaws, but like we can be great because of them and to, to grow and to see other people grow as, you know, like I can watch you and say like, Oh, Jane has shared, you know, some things that she's gone through and like, oh, she's gone through anxiety. She experiences that too. Oh, I experience that. I I can still do great things. Yes. Right. And not letting it like work against us. So I just wanted to add that. I don't know where that fits into the conversation, but. (laughs) No, that's, that's absolutely true. And just looking at how the brain works when we're just ruminating, like when I'm working with clients and they're telling stories about their past. They're literally running old neural pathway patterns. So no change comes from telling our story. What can come is compassion and feeling seen and heard, but that doesn't create the change. The change is, okay, so that's there. I'm not going to beat myself up for that. It's kind of hard, but you know, that's part of my experience. Now, what do I, now, what do I want now? And it's that new thought. It's that new curiosity. It's that new possibility. That is what literally changes the neural pathways in our brain. Telling the stories and the same old thing just makes the, the old grooves deeper. Yes. So yeah, you're absolutely. And like, it's, I love being a, a therapist now because now with the brain science and the scans and everything, we now know why, you know, why what we do works as therapists and coaches. Yeah. And we know why, what happens in the brain and why, what we've always intuitively known, like now we know, oh yeah, of course it's the brain. It's how the brain works. Of course. And I love that also, because once I share with uh, the people I work with, how the brain works, they have more compassion. They're like, oh, you mean I'm not just a bad, lazy, not good (laughs) enough person. You mean this is how the brain naturally works. And once I figure out how it works, I can use it to make the changes. They just become so much more self-compassionate. Yeah, absolutely. You had me at neuropathways. <laughs> I love it. It's like I could nerd out all day. Like I, I'm a former high school French teacher, but I studied so much psychology. And I think in another lifetime and maybe still in this lifetime, I will go back and <clears throat> study the brain more in depth. But it is so fascinating. Like you said, it's, you know, same stories, same results, like same yes. thoughts, same results. And so just shifting into those new thoughts and beliefs and embodying those feelings and all of, you know, all that comes with it, taking new actions, new results. And so it's so much more forward and positive focused. I love that. So I know that you have this book that I want to talk about just a little bit and kind of dig into, um, although I haven't like read all of it, right? I am aware that you have this amazing resource and it just like struck me this book, Everything is Perfect, Just Not Me. Correct me if that's yep. the wrong just title, right? Is that <laughs> okay? It's everybody, like my goal more, everybody else is perfect, just not me. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And so like if my as my audience is listening and as they're thinking like Hey, I've definitely had that thought before, right? And maybe still struggling with that idea of like not being enough or being too much or too loud or too this or not enough this, not enough that, right? And struggling with like, what does perfect mean, right? Like that perfectionism. What do you find? I would love to know of like, you know, I think it's really, I think most people, 
can kind of self-identify like, yeah, I definitely have some perfectionistic tendencies that I know are kind of holding me back. I think a lot of people are more self-aware than they give themselves credit for. But what do you, if there are people that are maybe not self-aware or just have kind of these blinders of like, no, that's not me. I'm stuck because of X, Y, Z in my life or business or, or whatever. What are some of the main like, if you will, like signs and symptoms, I guess, like of someone that is maybe still stuck in or really struggling with perfectionism? I know that's a big question, but that's a great question. So do you know the the typing mechanism, any the Enneagram? Yes. So, you know, the one is the perfectionist. Yes. I, not knowing the Enneagram a whole lot, I thought I was a four, which at that point, before I became a therapist, I was like, I I was never, I was always missing stuff. I was never good enough. It was just like always kind of negative because that's where I was at that time. And somebody said, I really think you're a one, the perfectionist. And I said, no, I can't be the one. And they're like, why, why do you say that? I said, well, I'm not good enough to be the one. And they went, (laughs) uh, yeah, that's pretty much why you're a one, right? (laughs) So if somebody says, oh, I can't be a perfectionist. I'm not good enough to be a perfectionist. That's like ding, 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 ding. Number one. Fascinating. Right? Oh, I'm not good enough. Yeah. I'm not good enough to be a perfectionist. I don't perform highly enough. I don't, I'm not smart enough. I'm not a chief. Like any, anytime you say I'm blank, not enough blank, pretty much you might be a perfectionist because a perfectionist basically the, well, the positive side is awesome. Like what I love about perfectionists is we're always sure things can be better. And we're always striving to make things better, which is awesome. It's good for us. It's good for the people we love. It's good for the people we serve. It's good for the world. The problem with the perfectionist is when we, when we go to the I'm not enough, it's not ever yet. It's always like, I'm not enough. And I'm afraid I never will be. Yes. Like I want to be better, but I'm afraid I never will be. I, I don't think I'm capable of that. I don't think I. So that self-doubt, instead of like, yeah, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to make mistakes. But I'm going to try hard because I can do that. I'm capable of that. That's not a perfectionist. That's a like, that's a human. Yeah. So while perfectionists always drive us to be better, and I love working with perfectionists. The, the, the shadow side is the pain we inflict on us because we're not yet something that is impossible. Like humans can't be perfect. So anytime that I'm not enough, what's wrong with me? Why didn't I do that better? When people say, oh, nice job. And in, you say, thank you. And inside you're like, yeah, but that really wasn't as good as it could have been. Like that internal, yeah, but is another sure sign that we're perfectionists. Is that what you see with your? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just wanted to, I was just curious on like your take, even just like seeing those things in yourself. And I see oh. a lot of those things, not necessarily anymore with myself. Cause I've, I've grown so much from where I once was. Right? <laughs> I call myself a recovering perfectionist, right? It still comes up, but yeah, I see that a lot, even like outwardly, right? Even just the compliment thing, like you said, like someone compliments, like not even saying thank you, right? But having the but or having the justification or having the self-correction right away before they even accept the compliment, right? Like it's not, I'm not even good enough to accept this compliment. I have to defend why it could have or should have been different or better or whatever. So yeah, I see that a lot as well. I see it a lot. Can I offer a little tip for that? Because I had to cure myself of not saying thank you. People would say, oh, nice job. I'd say, oh, well, you know, it was kind of late or I meant to get it done earlier Uh or I wish I had more time, whatever. So I realized that this is, I'm like, well, I want to be able to accept compliments. So I just made a practice, which was when somebody complimented me, I said, thank you. And then I shut my mouth. Like nothing else was allowed to come out. So what I, in the beginning, I would say, 
thank you. And then I'd shut my mouth and inside I'm like, but, but, and then, but, but, but I'd, I'd have all those butts inside my brain, but I did it enough. I just kept saying, thank you. Thank you. And it's even these little actions, which create the new neural pathways. So one day at that point, I worked for the Alzheimer's association and I turned in a report early and she said, wow, you turned in a report early. Nice job. And I went, right. Like, uh, no, I said something like, yeah, I know, right? I'm early. Isn't that awesome? And then I was like stunned because I just complimented myself. Yes. Not even thinking about it. It just came out of my mouth. So I said, thank you so much that it built up new neural pathways of, oh, I get to accept compliments. I get to accept compliments. Oh, I really do deserve compliments. Nobody's going to die if I receive this compliment. I'm still going to actually do good work if I accept this compliment until it came to the point where I spontaneously expressed my pride in my ability to turn the report in early. Not a big deal, but it was a huge deal at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. And like you said, like not giving airtime, even though it was in your brain, these thoughts, um, but not giving airtime to it and like reinforcing and like giving our brain extra (laughs) evidence to be like, see, told you is just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And making it this like simple, but very diligent action of just saying thank you that reworked that for you. I love that. Yes. I was going to add to that, like one of the symptoms, at least for the women that I work with specifically in business. And, and I like to talk about like what I do as life and business coaching as very holistic, of course, you know, I don't consider myself a business consultant, because I feel like that's very much just like strategy, do this, it works, I promise, like, (laughs) but instead really coaching and helping them really helping guide my clients to their own best answers, right? With obviously my experience and expertise in there too. But I I talk about it in like a really holistic sense because any like life and business don't, you know, we're moms, we're wives, we're business owners, we're this, we're that, like it, it all meshes together. And so how we do one thing is usually how we do everything, right? Because of obviously how our brain is working. And so one thing that I see a lot of times how this almost this compliment thing translates into their business, which I just wanted to offer for my audience to kind of think about it in this way, is that I see a lot of times so many women either not acknowledging at all or radically downplaying the results that they've created in their own lives or businesses And so kind of like the compliment thing, it could literally just be like, that's a really nice color on you or, you know, hey, you did a great job like getting that report in on time. It's kind of like the thank you or the, you know, downplaying it, but even results in their businesses and their lives overlooking it and refusing to refusing to like celebrate those achievements and whether they're big, small, whatever, anything in between, right? Signing a client, that's a big achievement, right? Making an X number of dollars in their business, that's a big achievement. But also like, you know, spending five extra minutes a day working on their, their new thoughts, right? Like that's a huge achievement if that's new for them, you know? And so not acknowledging their wins and results, I think is a huge outward sign and symptom for me, at least to see like, oh, this is the, it's not enough, or that was a fluke, or there's some reason, right? That they're justifying that that's not enough or that is, it could be better, right? I could have signed two clients. I should have made this amount of money. I, you know, didn't yell at my kids today, right? Like, I should never do that. Like, I should always be this good. This is just an expectation, right? And like, just glossing over a lot of their results and wins and just achievements in their lives. And there's a brain reason why when we're not celebrating ourselves or our achievements, or even our little itty bitty actions, we're leaving an important tool using our brain off the table. Because when we celebrate ourselves, when we say, yay, I did it, yay, nice job. Our brain produces, when we wanna create new neural pathways, our brain needs acetylcholine to do it. 
three things produce acetylcholine, punishment, reward, and importance. So when we're rewarding ourselves, like, yes, I did that five extra minutes. Yes, I took that time to say those kind words to myself and then feel the feelings when I don't really believe it's true, but I want to say it anyway. So I kept doing <laughs> We just, in those little moments of being with ourselves in kindness, when we celebrate it and notice it, we're literally producing acetylcholine in our brain to, and that's saying to the brain, hey, this is important. Why are this habit in? Because this is clearly an important habit. Yes. So let's, you know, create the myelination to make this easier next time and make it a sustained habit. So we're literally leaving such a simple tool off the table when we don't praise our actions or yeah. simply saying, yay me, I did it. Nice job. It makes it easier to do that habit again. Right. And the yes. problem is that so many of us think, and I used to think this, if I praise myself, I'm just going to stop trying. I don't know where we learned that. Mm, interesting. Like if I, if I think, oh, yay, I'm all that. That means I will go like, well, that's enough. But I guess I'll stop trying. And it, we're perfectionists. That's not in our blood to stop trying. <laughs> right? So we think if totally. we praise ourselves, we'll, we'll stop working so hard. And it's, it's the opposite. Yeah, I so agree. I love that. Do you feel like perfectionism affects, I don't know if you if you see this, I don't work with men directly, but I, I have a lot of men and, and different male figures in my life that I have seen struggle a lot with perfectionists, but I, I also see it outwardly discussed way more among women. Do you feel like it plagues women or men about the same different or do you feel like this is something that is just how we discuss it and how we handle it maybe just yeah. makes it seem larger with one group versus the other that's a great question Rachel um f- from what I've seen it plagues women more I think some men have it yeah I remember taking this money class a while ago and the teacher said, okay, so here's the difference between men and women. Women will look at a job application and they go, well, I only have 90% of the qualities. I don't have that one or two points. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to apply because I'm not qualified. Men will look at that same advertise, see like, yeah, I got about 50%. I'm in, I'm good. I'll, I'll apply. So, <laughs> and I had a boss in grad school who was as an English literature PhD, heading up the Department of Family Medicine docs, doctors in the University of Minnesota. Wow. Yeah. And as a perfectionist who thinks like, I'm sorry, I don't only have nine, nine out of the 10 <laughs> points for this job, so I can't apply. What's the point? I said to him, can why, like, how did you get here? How are you as an P- English major heading up a bunch of doctors? And he said, well, there's never been a job I didn't feel I was qualified for. And wow. I thought, I like that attitude. And it clearly works for him. So I think yeah. men are trained more towards, well, you'll just, you'll just figure it out. And women are trained more towards, you got to have it all figured out. And I think that might be, I think we're yeah. capable of perfectionism, but I think that's the message that boys and girls and men and women um, yeah, that's so interesting because I think, um, you know, if if we if we dug into which we don't need to right now, if we dug into like the energetics of it and the ancestral pieces of it, I think there's a lot of that like literally rooted in our DNA and our RNA, especially as women, just like simply not having the same opportunities, like as men have had the same status, whatever, all of that for years and years and years and years. But even I think it's like kind of part of just like the collective, right, of this collective belief that, of course, right, like, you know, as as boys are growing up, of course, you can do that, you can be anything. And, you know, I think it's really changed in our society today, which I appreciate. But I think it hasn't caught up enough, right, for as who are adults to have really experienced, especially as women, like 
that it is we we are capable we are enough we are you know more than enough in so many different capacities and so I think you know when we talk about our beliefs being oftentimes presented to us and just these stories that have been passed down from our parents from their parents and you know these belief systems I think a lot of it may just even come from the collective and just society of like what it means to be a woman and like that idea of especially even in the last I don't know several decades it really hasn't been normalized for women to you know be a great mother and have a great marriage and have a thriving business or in corporate or whatever, like do all of these things. Whereas it's just like a man is, you know, and again, not (laughs) nothing against men. This has just been somewhat accepted the accepted narrative, I think. And so to feel like we have to live up to that pressure of like proving society wrong I think maybe that has caused even more perfectionistic tendencies I don't know what do you think I was listening to a woman on a podcast talking about Gen Xers and she interviewed a bunch of them and she said like their lives have really come to like be like I don't know if you ever heard the ad Anjali for Anjali Anjali I forget oh yes But, you know, you can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan and never, ever let your husband forget he's a man. And so she's in this beautiful, like slinky red dress and heels and pearls and gorgeous hair and slender and frying perfect eggs and bacon. And and, like I grew up with that ad, too, although I'm older than Gen X. But I think before women had the role of being good mothers and that was the really primary thing. And then we're enabled, we're in the workforce, which is super awesome. But because we're supposed to be very good, now we have to be good at everything. Yeah. And it isn't just like, okay, we're going to, we're going to bounce back and forth in excellence or even okayness. Now we have to be good at everything. Yes. No more time. We still have the same amount of hours in the day, but now we've just added more to our plate. So one of the, the images I offer my clients is like a teeter-totter. And we were talking about earlier about how, uh, before we got on air, about self-care being yet another thing we're adding to our to-do list that we are probably failing. And so I think of life as a teeter-totter. And when we're centered, you know, that's when we're our happiest. But even in the center of the teeter-totter, have you ever stood in a teeter-totter? You're never like, I'm still so I was like, totally. you're doing slight adjustments. And then in life, we go out on the teeter-totter farther to the edge where we can be cherry bombed and go down fast and go up fast. And then we just come back to the center. And then we're like, we find our way to the other side of the teeter-totter where we're not balanced. And we go, oh, not good. And come back to the center. And I think that's a more realistic view of our life is we... Yes come to the center as much as we can. And we got off balance and we go, Oh, oh, I'm off balance. Now let me go back to the center. I think that's a much more compassionate way to be just as human beings. And especially as women with our multiple roles of excellence, we are trying to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I love that perspective of the teeter totter and like the balance versus this idea of like, this was introduced to me, this concept, and it was like mind blowing because I always thought that as women, especially, and as mothers and business owners and whatever, something that I've been very open about, like struggling with in my own business journey is just like feeling like I had to choose between success in my business and success as a mother or, you know, whatever, and having this perfect balance so I could have success in both. And this idea of like (laughs) harmony, was actually brought up to me and I'm like, oh, I love that so much because we're never fully balanced. Like you said, this teeter-totter, like we're always kind of like going way further up or down than we want to. And so like instead this idea of harmony was really um, brought to my attention. I just wanted to share that and share that with the, the listeners today because that concept really helps me kind of like lessen the pressure of having to be perfect in all of the areas because it was like this idea of a song, right? And the song sounds beautiful together, but if you take out all of the different pieces, right, it may not 
sound as great, but when you put it all together and it harmonizes and that feels so much better than like having to have everything like perfectly balanced all of the time. Um, And one other thought that I want to share real quick before I have other, another question that I want to pick your brain on is I, and I, I laugh about it now and I don't love this title. Like I don't, I don't choose this title for myself, but it feels like so much less pressure, which I think is, is about like the self-compassion, the self-love, the self-acceptance that I want to dig into briefly is like accepting that not everything has to be or ever will be perfect. And so I kind of joke that I've settled into this as a recovering perfectionist, I've settled into like what I label like productive mediocrity. (laughs) It's like, I don't love that word (laughs) mediocre because I think that there's a negative connotation with it. And I don't think that anyone was like made for mediocrity and for settling. What's that? Productive enoughness. Yeah. And so it was like this idea of mediocrity in my mind was like this sufficiency, right? Of like this productive, but I, I just joke about it because mediocrity to a perfectionist is like, that's like heart attack inducing. You know what I mean? Like, and so it's almost was like my way of accepting like, Oh, I can, I can have productive mediocrity. Like I can be good enough in these different areas and still that can be so beautiful. So I just want to offer that thought (laughs) to the listeners today. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about and tell us maybe in your experience, like what are some of these simple shifts? Like I feel like we've really identified like what this is, you know, who struggles with it. I think most people know what they struggle with it. But it's one thing to know I struggle and another thing to know like, okay, so what do I do about it? If I don't like that I struggle with this, what can I do without just like slapping? Oh, just like, you know. Just stop. Yeah, just, yeah, stop, <laughs> stop telling yourself that and just love yourself. Like, oh, easy enough, right? But when it comes to, I just wrote down these three things because I know that this is kind of like the subtitle of your book, right? Like a roadmap for self acceptance. And so, yeah. how can we start having more compassion, love, acceptance for ourselves while kind of getting away from our perfectionistic tendencies a little bit at a time. Like how can we be like 1% better every day? What are some simple shifts that, that you like to share? Awesome. Yeah. I will give you my favorite tool ever in the history of the world. And it is, if I were queen of the world, I would ban the word should, must, have to, and need. Mm. Because they make us feel bad. Every time we use one of those four words, and for Midwesterners, gotta, gotta is a really good Midwestern word. I gotta do this. I gotta do <laughs> love it. Like, can you do? I, I love to do an experiment because often my tools are so simple. My clients will say, well, that's not gonna work. It's so simple. I'm like, okay, so let's just try it. Because then we get proof that it works versus, oh, it can't be that simple. It has to be more difficult, which I'm a queen of doing. So, what's something you should be doing or you have to do? you right now that's a good one okay before I answer that I just want to say have you say the words again what should we let go of should Should, must must, have to have to need need. and need and gotta gotta that's a good one (laughs) yeah so even even just this idea of like I had this thought earlier today like I should be sharing about this program that I'm launching on this XYZ platform more, right? I had that thought I should be doing this. Great. So this is a beautiful example. Now close your eyes and what do you feel in your body? I should be doing this. I should be sharing my program. Yeah. There's, there's like tightness in my chest. Yeah. Nice. Now say it'd be a good idea to share about my program. Yeah. It'd be a good idea to share about my program. Close your eyes. Yeah. And what do you feel? Yeah. There's a light, lighter. It's lighter. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. and as you said it, your face lit up more. I know people are just listening, but you just right. smile. Your whole face mm-hmm. lit up. Like, yeah, it would be a good idea. 
So I would change the word should, must, have to, need to, it's a good idea, it'd be helpful. I've got other words, but those are the the two ones I, I find work the best. So when we say it'd be a good idea, it'd be helpful, it does several things. One, when we say should, must, have to, need, we're literally saying to ourselves, so I should do this, so I should have already done it, so I'm already late, so even if I do it, I get no praise, right? So when we say those words, we're saying, and you're failing, and you're failing, and you're failing, consciously, yes. unconsciously. When we say it'd be a good idea, it'd be helpful, because these things are on our list for a reason, right? And like, they're on it for a reason. Yeah, it would be yeah. helpful. One, just I'll feel better when it's done, like is a good enough reason. But when we say those words, we, we lighten the load, our body resists it less, yes. and we're seeding our subconscious through the reticular activating system. To say, hey, if it's a good idea, well, like, how would I do it? When would I do it? What would be some good? So we're seating our unconscious to start problem solving on it for us. Yes. And the reticular activating system is when we're saying, hey, this is important. Search for it. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to search your subconscious and the environment for things to support what you just said. So once again, really simple tool that uses our brain without us even having to do extra work on it. Yeah. So can, should, must have to need, say it'd be a good idea, it'd be helpful. That's so good. I love that. And I, I coach on this all the time with my clients, not necessarily in, you know, they come to me with a lot of shoulds and need to and have to and must and right, all of these like really heavy like thoughts and and that are filled with so much pressure, right? And um, I love the idea of even just those phrases, it'd be helpful too. It's a good idea. What I noticed too in those that you shared, um, and I have my own strategies too that are, are very similar, but I love those because what I noticed is that they take, um, they kind of depersonalize the yes. task. And yeah. I love that instead of like, I should, I need to, I must, right? It's kind of like this, this label or this affirmation of like, I'm sad, I'm scared, I'm frustrated. Like, I love taking us out of it and saying like, I feel sad, I feel frustrated, right? And like owning the feeling without saying that, like, like identifying with it. And that's kind of the same idea that brought up for me, like, we take ourselves out of it. And instead, it just becomes like this helpful suggestion that we can, like you said, go to work and let our brains go to work on problem solving from a really unattached space. And I think that feels really powerful. I love that you said that I never put that together before. I never, I mean, I know that depersonalization is super helpful. But I never put it together with those words. So thank you for that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is mind blowing for everyone involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I find too that especially as women, like we take things and I even as moms, I think, and, and I don't know your <laughs> your personal history, but I, I'm a mom and my audience knows this. I'm a mom of two little ones, have a third one on the way. And so like as thank you. <laughs> um when this episode comes out, baby will be here so um yeah it's all it's all good everyone everyone knows on the on the podcast but yeah I was just saying that because I think like especially as moms too we tend to and just women in general I think we tend to take things a lot more personally and to just have a lot more of like an emotional attachment to things just by our nature and so yeah I love that what you share just like depersonalizing that and just like because yeah if you said that to me right instead of me saying like I should do this if it was a suggestion from you saying like hey Rachel like it, it might be helpful if you did xyz Right. I would take that as like a positive suggestion that I could take or leave and not feel like tied to it or like my worth is tied to it because, you know, it's it was like forced upon me. Right. And I'm not going to be perfect if I don't do it. It feels so much lighter. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And I kind of want to wrap up here with this idea. And I know that you have an amazing resource that you use with your clients as well and kind of 
really, really wrapping their intuition and bringing their intuition into the picture, which I love talking about and having this external pieces and these internal pieces and really like tapping into who we are and and that internal voice and helping us kind of get through some of these perfectionistic tendencies that will never, I, I don't think ever really go away, but we just get to be more conscious and more empowered by them and use them to our advantage, like you said earlier. So tell us a little bit about this, this resource that you have created. It's so funny because I've used this for over 20 years. It's called, what I call the body test method. It's a form of muscle testing. Mm-hmm. But um, for me, this like people showed me the pendulum and I can't make a pendulum work. My pendulum just goes all over. So it never <laughs> worked for me. But so what I did instead is when I wanted to find out what my gut was telling me versus just my mind, I, I stand up and I say, and because I'm a perfectionist, I want everything to be for everyone's highest good, right? I just, I just want everything I do to be for everyone's highest good, period. So I say, I stand up and I say, uh, like, I'm trying to decide two choices. Like, well, it'd be good for me to go for a walk today after work. So I'd say, it'd be for my highest good to go for a walk today after work. And then I'll notice what my body does. And for me, when I say something that's true for me, my body leans forward. When I say something that's not true for me, it leans back. Other people do stuff like their body gets more condensed when uh, it feels true and more dispersed when it feels. So what I ask people to do is when they're using it to say, my name is, in my case, Jane, and then see what my body does. And then say, my name is not their name. Like my name is Ralph and see what my body does. So I know my yes and no. And then I will ask, and I do this a lot with now online programs. For my high school today, this online program because I don't know, I don't know the program, I don't know what benefit I'm going to get. So I do that, and then the beautiful thing about trusting our intuition is we now have the information, and then we get to decide if we want to use it or not. Well, what's really interesting is never, and I've been doing this for over 20 years. Sometimes I listen to it, sometimes I don't. Sometimes when I don't, it works out just fine. Sometimes when I don't, I'm like, oh, I should have made the other decision. Never once in 20 years have I been like, oh, I shouldn't have done what my body said. Right? Right. Never once. So I use it now. I tested it on small decisions because my ego didn't want to, which car should I buy? Like early on was like, that was too big to trust. Too big. Now (laughs) I absolutely trust it. So I, I have this body test method. and I'll send you the link. It's basically everydaylove.me backslash body test, but I'll send you a link to put in the show notes too. Beautiful. If they want to download it and get, I'll do a video and a little graphic and everything to make it easier for them to use. But it is so, it's a lovely way for us to stop constantly questioning our decisions and just go, I'm making this decision and it's done. Yeah. <laughs> stop questioning stopped. It's awesome. Right. I love that. Yeah. I, I love intuitive work. I will say personally, and maybe I need to go back to it, but like the body testing, well, the muscle, (laughs) it would be a good idea (laughs) if I started using the muscle testing again, because that concept was introduced to me by one of my mentors and an energy healer that I have worked with in the past. I have a pendulum as well. And that feels fun to me too. But even just in in general, I think it's just really interesting to just start tapping into, especially for those listening who maybe don't feel really in tune with their own body or their own intuition and, and are having because they feel like every decision, everything that they do has to be perfect, right? Yes. And they think that because they're not perfect, that they don't trust themselves this could be one simple step in the right direction of just developing slowly with Mm -hmm. like you said really small decisions even like which color shirt is a good idea you know like is it a good idea to wear the green shirt or the pink shirt today just small things that they can start building up that self-trust 
And then from that self-trust, when they learn to trust themselves and just us as, as humans, when we learn to trust ourselves, right, then I think that can open up the gates to accepting ourselves a little bit more and having compassion. And when we have compassion, I think the next level is just like really loving ourselves. And so that is beautiful. I love that so much. Is there, I mean, anything, I think, I, again, I feel like we could talk in every guest I have on this show. I'm like, we could probably talk for seven more hours, but for the listener's sake, we'll wrap it up. But is there anything more about this concept of perfectionism or self-love and self-acceptance, anything else that like you really just want to make sure that my audience hears today from you? Yeah, one of the my favorite things to do when I'm being my imperfect, messy human self is I put my hand, and I got this from Tara Brock. I put my hand on my heart, my hands on my heart, and I go, oh, I'm hurting. Period. That is such a lovely, just truth-telling self-compassion of like, oh, I'm a messy human and I'm hurting. And it's such a kind, loving way for us to be with our feelings, not having to tell stories about them. But just allowing ourselves to feel and allowing ourselves to release. When we just feel, the feelings go. When we fight them, they stick around for us to come back to later. But just like, oh, I'm hurting right now and feel the physical sensations. And then they go. And then we can go back to being our resilient perfectionist, always wanting the world to be better people. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, like using that perfectionism as one of our greatest assets too, yes. instead of allowing us to um, allowing it to to hold us back in so many ways. And um, just to add on really quickly to that idea of just you know tuning in and, and just like acknowledging the fact that you're hurting or you know releasing those feelings. I like to think about it like how would we approach someone else or how would we approach yes. like a child, right? Like allow them to have their feelings, allow them to release them. And then they feel so much more loved, right? Because of that. And so we can just do that for ourselves too, even though we're adults, right? It doesn't feel as natural, but it becomes natural when we just simple shifts daily. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. This has been such a fun conversation, Jane. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know we're going to link up some of the um, information that you shared in the show notes too. But if my listeners just want to know more, really resonate with you, your message, kind of your work, where can they come find out more and hang out with you online or wherever? And we can link that up in the show notes as well. Great. Yeah. My website is everydaylove.me. And they can sign up and I send out weekly love notes full of tools and perspectives and simple little things we can do in the books I'm reading that I'm like, read this, it's going to help you. So um, lots of different ways for us to do, take simple little actions to just love ourselves more. We don't have to be perfect at it. Even just a little more love every day is going to rock our worlds eventually. Yeah, so fun. I love that. Awesome. Well, um, well, yeah, like I said, we'll link all of that up in the show notes and um, we'll make that a wrap for today. Thank you so much, Shane. Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Dream Builder Society podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love if you'd head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a review so we can continue to get this content into the hands of other incredible women just like you. If you're interested in learning more about the work I do and what coaching could look like for you, head over to rachelolstead.com and book your free clarity call so we can explore how coaching can help you create your own dream life too. 